Testing. Maybe we have a dead battery. <laughs> That's all right. Okay. Great. My wife and I have retired from pastoral ministry and uh, are living nearby in Richland. Uh, we pastored five different churches uh, through the years, in, all in Pennsylvania. Our last pastorate was in York County in a little place called Wrightsville. And uh, it's... Uh, Kind of a bedroom community of about uh, 27, 2800 people. My wife is uh, from the Johnstown area. She graduated from Johnstown High. And uh, I am from a small crossroads east of Cumberland, Maryland called Flintstone. Anybody ever hear of that place? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're looking at one of the original Flintstones. <laughs> I even married a Betty. <laughs> My wife and I, uh, on the 19th of last month, celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Thank you. We were married uh, in Johnstown, a Grace Assembly. Reverend Optenhoff was pastor then. So uh, I, I know some of those things are familiar with you or to you. Uh, today we want to share from God's word about the fact that God is at work for you. And we'll begin with Romans 8:28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When I was a young Christian, I had this notion that if you were a Christian, everything went right. No problems to speak of. But now that I'm 71 years old, I've learned a few things along the, the, the road. And I find that there are some adversities that believers face. Sometimes they're financial. I shared a testimony recently with uh, uh, a study group. Uh, Several men that uh, gather together once a week to study God's Word. And I told them that in my lifetime, I can remember two times when we were so uh, hard up for finances. And the first time was after we were married, uh, the first year or so, that we had to take some soda bottles back and get the deposit on them in order to get a loaf of bread. Another time was after we had 
been to uh, Oral Roberts uh, University, did a degree out there and came back to Pennsylvania. We were living in the uh, Philadelphia area. We had not yet taken the pastorate there, but we were doing uh, what I'm doing today, filling in for pastors on vacation and so forth. And things were so tight on one occasion that all I had was a roll of pennies, 50 cents. And when I, needed, I needed gas. So I went into a, a local gas station and then I said, I want 50 cents worth of gas. And I said, all I have are these pennies. And he, he says, I can't accept rolled change. Okay. I broke them open, dumped 50 pennies on the counter, and went out and pumped my gas. Now, sometimes we face difficulties and we wonder, where is God in all of this? If God promises that all things work together for good, where is he sometimes? In recent years, my adversities have been in the health area. Dr. Ken Marley and I have had three encounters at your local hospital here. I had three operations in the space of 22 months. But in all of that, God has been faithful. Today I want to share with you from the, the story of Joseph found in the book of Genesis. You won't need to turn there. I'm sure that this story is quite familiar to you, but we can see God at work turning adversity into something good in the life of Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, one of 12 sons. And when you first read about him, the scripture tells us that he's 17 years old. He has a couple dreams. And he shares these dreams with his family. One is about uh, grain, and the other is about the sun, moon, and stars, both of which indicate there's coming a time when his family, or when he, the, uh, one of the younger of the brothers, is going to rule over the rest of the family. When he shared these dreams with his family, uh, this caused some anger on the part of his brothers. Now, there, were, there was one father, but there was four mothers, and there was a total of 12 sons. In today's terminology, we might call that a blended family. And sometimes those kind of situations bring adversity. And so... Even though Joseph was a young man called of God, he had God's blessing upon his life, still there were problems that he had to deal with with his own family. There was so much anger and jealousy on the part of his brothers that one day when Joseph went out to meet them while they were tending the sheep, he was to see how they were doing and report back to the father, as they saw him coming uh, in the distance, they hatched a scheme 
that they were going to uh, get rid of him. One suggested that they kill him. But thank goodness they decided instead to sell him into slavery. They had first stripped his uh, coat of many colors off of him, put him in a dry cistern that was just like a big pit in the ground. And as they saw a caravan coming uh, in the distance toward them, they decided, why not make some money on this at the same time and we'll get rid of him. And uh, so they sold him for 20 pieces of silver to uh, a caravan that took him down into Egypt. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I would consider that if some member of my family uh, sold me into slavery, I, I would consider that a, an insult. I would consider that a big problem. So here is Joseph. He's been sold uh, in, into uh, the hands of these Ishmaelites who take him down to Egypt with the, the other goods. There he is sold as a slave. Now if Joseph is in God's will, if God's blessing is upon him, where is God now? Where is God in all of this when Joseph is being sold as a slave? Our own country fought a civil war over the issue of slavery. We know how bad slavery can be. And so Joseph, a young man of 17, is being sold as a slave. But God was at work for him. Even though there were times when Joseph couldn't see it or sense it, still God was working in his behalf. And so a man named Potiphar bought Joseph, and we read in the context there that God's blessing was upon Joseph, and he prospered even in this situation of being a slave. It wasn't long before Potiphar was so impressed by Joseph that he turned everything in his household uh, affairs over to Joseph, and so Joseph took care of those things. Next, we see an encounter with Potiphar's wife. She wanted to seduce Joseph. She wanted him to have an affair with her behind her husband's back. But the scripture tells us that Joseph was a man of character. He was a man that didn't want to betray his master, Potiphar, nor did he want to betray his God. If we were to put that context or, or that family in, in today's world, you know, there are many who would say to uh, Joseph, well, go ahead and have your fling. Who cares? But Joseph couldn't do that. He couldn't betray his master. He couldn't turn his back on the God that he knew. 
And so, when Potiphar's wife tried to trap him into a situation, he fled, leaving part of his clothing behind. And she turned that around because he had scorned her. She turned that around and falsely accused Joseph. And, you know, the next thing we see that Potiphar is so angry at what he believes Joseph has done that he throws Joseph into prison. 17-year-old boy, first he's in slavery, and now sometime after that he finds himself in the prison. Now the prisons in those days weren't very good. They didn't have recreation. They didn't have TV. They didn't have, you know, good food. It was a terrible situation for Joseph to be in. Again, where is God in all of this? How is God working to bless Joseph, to take that which is evil and a big problem and turn it around and make something good and a blessing? Well, it seems that Joseph soon impressed the jailer, just as he had impressed Potiphar with his honesty, his integrity, his good character that came from the God he served. And so, it wasn't long before he was given the responsibility of running the prison that he was in. There were two inmates that came in one day, they were the former baker and cupbearer of Pharaoh. And these two individuals both had dreams one night. And the next morning they were discussing it and upset because nobody could tell them what the dreams meant. Joseph interpreted the cupbearer's dream first. And, and the meaning of it was that in three days he was going to be restored to his position before Pharaoh. The baker taking uh, courage from that good interpretation told Joseph his dream, but the outcome or interpretation of it was not very good. Joseph told him in three days, you are going to lose your head. You're going to be killed. And sure enough, within three days at a birthday party for the Pharaoh, why, both of these things came to pass. Joseph had said to the cupbearer that when you are restored to your position, remember me and my situation. And after three days, the cupbearer was restored, but he forgot all about Joseph. Joseph was still in prison, and it wasn't until two years had gone by that when Pharaoh had a couple of dreams and nobody could interpret them for him, that finally the, the cupbearer remembered there's a Hebrew slave in prison that interpreted my dream, and it came to pass just as he said. And so he tells Pharaoh, they send for Joseph, 
He is brought out of prison. He's cleaned up and taken before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells him the two dreams that he has had and asks if he can interpret it. And Joseph says, you know, it's not me, but it's God that gives the interpretation. And he says, both dreams that you have had are one and the same. He says, there's going to be five, or seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And he says, I suggest that you find a wise man and set him over uh, this issue and so that he can store up all the, the plenty and it will be available then when the years of famine come by. And they decide, who is wiser than Joseph? He's the only one that has been able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. And so they, they gave him royal clothing, they hung a gold chain around his neck, and put him second in command over the entire nation of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his signet ring, gave it to Joseph, and he says, I, I'm the only one that will have more power than you. Now we begin to see Joseph emerging out of the adversity that he had been subject to, being sold by his brother, being a slave for a number of years uh, in Potiphar's house, being falsely accused and put in prison, and then remaining in prison an additional two years because the cupbearer had forgotten about him. Now we see God is working. He's taking those things which were meant for evil and he's turning them around and he's making something good out of them. We read that when Joseph took his position in Egypt, that 13 years had passed from the time his brother first sold him to the Ishmaelites. 13 years went by. How long are you willing to wait for God to turn things around for you? You know, we live in a, in a world where we, everything's instant. You know, we want to push a button and get immediate results. You probably can think of situations where you have taken a request before God. You've asked God, please do this or please do that. And you may have waited for days or weeks or months and probably in some cases years before you saw an answer. Joseph waited 13 years before he was elevated to this position. Now that verse that we read from Romans 8, we know that all things, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. 
What was the purpose of elevating Joseph to this position? Was it to make him rich? Was it to compensate him for all of the adversity he had gone through in 13 years? Neither one. It was that he might be a deliverer, not for himself, but for his entire family, who in years to come would grow into a great number of people and eventually would become the nation of Israel. Had it not been for Joseph going through this adversity, but yet God's hand upon him, being called of God, if it had not been for Joseph, there would not be an Israel as we know it today. Continue the story. Joseph is now in a position of power. After a year or so of famine that affects the entire region, including Canaan, where his brethren were still living, they come down to Egypt to buy grain. And he, of course, immediately recognizes them, but now he, he looks like an Egyptian. His hair and beard, they're fixed like the Egyptians wear. He has Egyptian clothing. So his, you know, and, and his brethren haven't seen Joseph for 13 years. And so they don't recognize him. So he has an encounter with him. He accuses them of being spies. And so, you know, now they're going to reap what they have sowed some years earlier. But in, in all of this, uh, going back and forth with one another, he gives them a test. He puts, or he orders that their money be put back in their grain sacks. And as they go back home, one of them has to remain in order to prove, or until it is proven, that they have been telling the truth about their father and about a younger brother that's still back home. And so, eventually, the brothers go back home. They tell their father, Jacob, about all that has transpired. Eventually, that grain runs out, and so they said, we have to go back and get more grain, but we cannot go back unless we take Benjamin with us. Benjamin is the younger full brother to Joseph. Their mother died in childbirth. He is a favorite now of Jacob. Jacob does not want to part with him in any way, shape, or form, but eventually the brothers prevail, talk him into allowing him to go back to Egypt. Again, they are presented to Joseph. 
he has a great feast for them. He arranges for the brothers to be placed in order by age. Brothers were amazed that, you know, this was happening. Who could know the chronological birth of all the brothers? Again, after sharing a time with Joseph, they uh, are sent home. Again, the money is put back in the mouth of the other grain sacks. Only this time, <clears throat> a silver goblet is put in the mouth of Benjamin's sack. The steward is sent after them. He searches through their proper, or their, the grain sacks. The, the, the goblet is uh, discovered in the sack of Benjamin. They all have to go back. Joseph, you know, calls him to account. The short of this story is that before it's all said and done, he identifies himself to them and they can't believe it. They can't believe it. Let me read a few verses from Genesis about this part of the story. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Called according to his purpose. This was Joseph's purpose. God had called him to save lives. He says, for two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. The brothers go back home. And the short of the story is, Jacob is delighted to hear that Joseph is still alive. He and his entire household moved to Egypt where God provides for them through the rest of the famine. They are given the choice land. They live in, they live in Goshen, which is the delta of the Nile, and the richest soil in the area. And so the Hebrews prosper. And of course, when you get to the next book of scripture, Exodus, you have the story of Moses and how he led God's nation out of Egypt into the promised land. But in the story of Joseph, we see God has been at work. God is at work for us. Sometimes we can't see it, but he's still there. 
You know, God doesn't promise to keep us from everything. God just promises to be with us through everything. He was with Joseph through all kinds of adversity. Look at the rest of the verses that follow Romans 8.28. In verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who could be against us? Skipping down to verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. God had a plan for Joseph. He brought him through all kinds of adversity and blessed him, and he became an instrument to save his entire family. Sometimes we don't understand how God works or why he works in a certain way. Through my years as a pastor, I've heard many occasions people will make a comment, something like, when I get to heaven, I'll find out why. Why did a certain event happen in this individual's life? Or why did so-and-so die at such a young age? When we get to heaven, we'll find out. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, the scripture says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's impossible for us to comprehend how he thinks, how he works in certain ways. But we do know, just based upon Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good to those who are called by the Lord. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 46, 
There are two statements that I leave with you. First is verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And verse 10, be still and know that I am God. The first operation that I had in the local hospital was for a ruptured appendix. Very serious situation. And there were times when I I had to walk the halls for exercise. And often I would do it in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. And it just seemed like blackness enveloped me. Where was God in all of this? Is God helping me? I couldn't, there were many times I couldn't sense God's presence in all of that. I do know he brought me through. God was at work for me like he was at work for Joseph. And God is at work for you as well. I don't know what situation you are facing today. It might be financial. It might be in your health. Maybe there's some kind of problem among family members. It's not important that I know. What's important is that God knows all about it. And if you will take the need to the Lord, he'll work it out for the best. It may look like it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Many of you are like me that as we grew up as children, we heard about the Iron Curtain. We heard about the atomic bomb. And in grade school, why we had to do the drills where you climb under your desk. At that time, I thought that the Iron Curtain at the Soviet Union was such a huge problem that there was no way to deal with that. But you know what? In our lifetime, the Soviet Union has dissolved. I don't care what problem you have, how big it seems, God is bigger than it all. He's at work for you. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, you know the needs of your people in this local congregation. I pray that they will have the faith to look to you, to deal with whatever it may be. And however long it may take, whether it takes a few days or a few years, I pray that you will see their need 
and respond to it. We ask in your name. Amen. Our sisters coming now to close our service.